Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back for another episode of the Hollywood Half Hour. With me again is my good friend, Sean Burgos. Hello. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a heck of a week and dun, dun, dun. Guess what came out? Ooh, I think I know what you're talking about. I think you're going to like this topic for this episode. We're talking Star Wars. What? Oh, Seriously? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. This is right up my alley. And oh, it's yeah. perfect timing. It is, because Mandalorian just came back this last week. Yes, yes. Did you get did you get a chance to watch the episode? I did. I did. I did. I what? Okay. Ooh, uh oh. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about it. I feel really? yeah. You know, I, I came into there with a lot of hope. Obviously there's been the advertising and everything for it. Mm-hmm. Uh and and you know, uh we watched it. Uh, I mean, my fiance and I, we watched it and it kind of was like one of those, okay, that happened. So it wasn't what I expected. And again, I think that's okay, but I'm just concerned for the the rest of the season. Interesting. I actually, you know, I actually agree with you quite a bit. Um, I watched the episode myself and yeah, it, it didn't have as big of a, of a hit as the past season premieres. Like, yeah. I think the second season premiere, um, with Timothy Oliphant, where he's Cobb Vanth in Boba Fett's armor. Yeah. And they're fighting the crate dragon. I think that was the strongest of the three season premieres. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, there was something I don't I don't I don't want to say off, but lacking is probably the best way to put it in my sense. Like something just felt lacking in the episode. Cause like we've established so much already, not even just the world of Star Wars, but with Mando himself right. and Baby Yoda, I mean, I mean, <gasps> Gro- Grogu, Grogu. How dare you? How dare I meant, you? I meant Grogu. I'm gro- right. Sorry, sorry, Mickey. Jeez. It's Grogu. <laughs> God. But yeah, just something. I don't know. It felt like for a third season and kind of a big return. It's been gone for what? How, how long was it since season two? At least uh, two years, it's right? It's been about two years. Yeah. Yeah. So I would think it's kind of like the, you know the big return of um, Mandalorian. I thought it was have a. It's just a little bit of a harder hit to it. So I think so too. I think it, 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 what my concern was this, like it would, it would felt like they were trying to capture lightning in a bottle again. Yeah. Uh, because it, it had all the big, big highlights of the last two season premieres, right? Obviously the mm-hmm. first one being the, the, the biggest highlight, it's what launched Disney plus, but you know, same with season two. Again, we had the crate dragon fight and this yeah. one, we have this, I don't know what it's called, but this awesome, dinosaur plesiosaur looking crocodile creature oh yeah right? i said it was like the alligator stegosaurus yeah yeah i, I, I got jurassic world feelings by yeah it, you know? yes 100 percent. but but what i'm saying is like it felt like it it was saying okay look at what we can do mm-hmm. and we're very sorry fans for season two not having enough mando in it and being more about all the other characters uh here's all mando now you know, so I just felt I was uh, I'm a little concerned because of that, that maybe Disney is pushing for that aspect of the storytelling as opposed to honoring the story itself. And like really going for the world building right. and like keeping it too confined almost. Right. It's one that of those was things the- that I, 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 sorry, sorry. I'm just, again, I, I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> you're, no, you are. You're a passionate fan. And I love it. We're, we're going to get on that in a second, but I was going to, I was going to say the same thing. It felt confined. Yeah. Cause it felt like we were kind of going to the same locations. Like we started off on this, this moon of Mandalore mm-hmm. in the opening scene where they're inaugurating or baptizing, if you will, this new, 
this new recruit, this person who's going to be a new Mandalorian. Right. And then we go right back to the um, Navarro plan. It's like, oh, we're we're back here. And it oddly looked a lot like Galaxy's Edge. It really did, didn't it? <laughs> it, it was like, a we're, lot we're on Batuu. Like, we're on Batuu. So it was a lot of familiarity. And I, I think that, like like you said, you know, that's like, oh, we're, we're just kind of here again. Like, yeah. we're not... Go, like you would think, okay, a lot's probably happened in the two years that transpired between season two and now, and we just kind of end up in the same places. Uh, so, but going on about how passionate of a fan you are, so that's actually something I wanted to touch upon was, mm-hmm. you know, you and I have been Star Wars fans for a very long time, <laughs> De- yeah. decades. Uh-huh. So, what about? I want to know, like, what about Star Wars, like? grabbed you as a fan like what made you look at and think this is with me for life i mean for me i mean obviously as a, as a child it's another form of escapism and mm-hmm. allowing yourself to go into that imagination imagination uh and the imagination that lucas did create for us right and kind of like you were just saying how well i was i was complaining about it right with mando <laughs> season three about the here's the fluff but we're now missing that substance that made Star Wars what Star Wars is, right? For me, a lot of it was that world building. A lot of it was knowing these awesome like, inner mechanisms of the technology, yeah. knowing the type of different alien species and all of that, right? So oh, I felt like we missed a little bit of that. Sorry to interrupt, but that, w- that was one of my big gripes with the show. You just said alien species. Mm-hmm. The pirates. Yes, Something was not right with the creature design. <laughs> and I hate to say it because I know this is your world, but the voice acting. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh. When I was watching that, the main pirate, I didn't catch his name, but the main pirate, I'm like, this feels like an alien creature from Star Trek more than Star Wars. Like It kind of did. Very, it did. very humanoid, very American sounding accent. Like, didn't feel like... Think back, like, would you have seen this guy in the uh, in the cantina, in the cantina of A New Hope? I think we would have seen him in the cantina, but we wouldn't have heard him probably. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Like, he'd be, he he felt like along the lines of, like, that that devil alien that we see smiling, that giant grin. Oh, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. Cantina. Remember that? And on Tatooine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of, you know what I learned recently? I don't know if you know this. Almost all of the the creatures in the cantina scene in the original, all of those are technically Rick Baker's creations. Really? Yeah. Cause he was working as a makeup effects specialist on there and they needed to fill the space with a bunch of aliens. And all he did when he was young was create masks and appliances. So he's like, I've got all these surplus masks. Let's just throw ah. some. So all of those are Rick Baker creations all over the cantina. I mean, if you got to save money somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because I heard him in an interview and I was like, wait, what? Rick Baker was part of Star Wars? Wow. <laughs> and he's just, so he loaned it to them essentially. I and mean, they paid him, obviously. But oh, yeah. 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 Uh, but wow. I did not know that. I didn't either. I was I was shocked to hear that. But it kind of makes sense. Like when you see some of those creatures, you're like, those are kind of Rick Baker. They're kind of otherworldly and weird and yeah, you look back on it and uh, and it's very noticeable. But but wow. anyway, so you were you were saying um, all the aspects of the world building and seeing yeah. the different creatures, and that's what hooks you. Yeah, that I mean, 
you have you you know as a kid you've got you're gonna fall fall for that whole like light versus dark the mythology of it all right with the yeah. jedi the sith even though they don't they don't really go into sith and jedi lore in the original trilogy much right Mm-mm. uh that's more that's more the prequels and then uh, eventually feloni's clone wars but you know you you're still going to there's still a clear cut bad guy and a good yeah. guy and as a kid you're going to eat that up man you're gonna, oh, yeah. and then when you have all of these archetyped characters, right? You have like the rogue of Han Solo. You've got the princess character who's yep. kind of a badass as well, right? You have the farm boy who has <laughs> big aspirations. You have Luke Skywalker, right? And you have this alien Chewbacca thing walking around like a dog. Mm-hmm. What what a menagerie of characters. And as a kid, you better believe I'm going to eat that up, man. And I know I think we said this on what episode one a yeah, while back yeah, where yeah. I'm like, I watched Empire religiously as a child every day. So, and I would, again, I would, it would, it would be to the point where I knew every single line of that movie. Not anymore, but you know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's that, it, that's how special it was for me. And yeah, to, to be honest, it kind of like paved the way for my own my own path, my own, I guess, journey in life for creativity, right? And using my imagination and what I'm doing nowadays as a voice actor and actor. So like I've always I've always gone back to that little kernel of of uh, imagination from Star Wars. Yeah, you know, I'm with this I'm on the same boat with you. Like I didn't I didn't really get hooked in so much with the creatures and the mythology, like I don't think at a very young age. Um, funny enough, I, (laughs) so my first foray into star Wars. Okay. So I was, I was more of a star Trek kid growing (gasps) up. I know, I know, but (laughs) I, it was that, that was what I had. I had, I had copies of the star Trek, uh, movies. Uh, I think it was undiscovered country and occasionally next generation would be on TV. Classics. They are, they absolutely are. Mm -hmm. That'll, but that's a topic for another day. The, (laughs) the clash Star Wars v Star Trek. Ooh, that'll be that'll be an hour long special, folks. God. <laughs> um, and also, funny enough, I was more familiar with Spaceballs, Mel Brooks Spaceballs, before I even saw Star Wars. Are you serious? I swear to you, I don't know why. I don't know why, because <laughs> you would think like, well, how would you even know the satire? I was five. I didn't know what the hell it was making fun of. I just knew there was a goofy guy in a big <laughs> helmet. Uh, and then my, I remember my brother told me. You know they're making fun of Star Wars, right? I was like, what's Star Wars? Again, I'm like four or five years old at this okay, point. Okay, fine, fine. Four or yeah. five years old. He goes and he brings me um, the kids. He had the kids novelization of Return of the Jedi. Remember the one that was the red cover? Yep. It was the it was the entrance of the of the throne room that had the two yep. uh, Imperial guards standing there. <laughs> that was the one he had. I cracked that open. That was technically my first introduction to Star Wars. So you didn't even have a visual introduction. You had nope a novelization. It was a it was a kids novelization. So it was a picture book. <sighs> I'm kind of jealous, man. I almost wish I had that. It, yeah, like, that as my introduction. <laughs> yeah, and. F- and what was funny enough was at that time, so that would have been um, 90, 95, 94, okay. 95, I want to say, which just happened to be around the time they did the first re-release of Star Wars right. onto VHS. So I remember 
being at Toys, I think it was like Toys R Us or some store, mm. and they had the the triple VHS pack, the yep. three movies with the gold boxes. Mm-hmm. My mom got me those, went home that night and watched A New Hope. And that, was, and that was my first time watching A New Hope. What'd you think as a kid? It blew me away. I will say, it blew me away, but that scene in the trash compactor with the 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 monster that yeah. was in there, the, yeah, yeah. the one-eyed monster freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, freaked it's me out when I, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, that was my introduction into Star Wars and I don't I don't remember what hooked me into it. It's like it was almost like the the sum of everything just like grabbed me. I was like I think like most kids I was like, "Ooh, lightsabers. Ooh, oh. ships." Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what hooked me. And then as I got older and I watched the movies more, I got really familiar with the lore. And then a few years later, it was the prequels were starting to become known. And this was back when the internet wasn't as big of a thing. So right. you start hearing whispers like, hey, they're coming out with a new Star Wars movie. It's going to it's gonna take place when Darth Vader was a kid. Ooh. And we're like, what? Really? It's <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, man! I I remember like because I was I was a sub, I was the official subscriber and member of the Star Wars magazine. I remember, and okay. they would, they sent us like that Mace Windu limited edition action one. figure. Remember that? I do. I remember the Star Wars magazine that was out where each yep. cover was a different character from Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. I had the Qui Gon Jinn one. Oh, so good! I had that one, and I also remember. And it's so funny thinking back how you didn't have social media or whatever to like spread, you know, the upcoming movie news. It was all word of mouth among our friends. I remember being at school and someone's like the chatter of Star Wars comes up and they're like, hey, did you guys hear there's going to be a double bladed (laughs) lightsaber in this one? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, man. Remember that that news like broke kid world it's uh-huh. like a double-bladed lightsaber <laughs> right and then when they when the toys hit the market man yep that was always sold out i was lucky i got one and i did my own version of star wars kid remember totally how hard kid. darth maul was to find as a figure oh, yeah man i remember it my took- mom surprised me with it once oh lucky <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think i cried i'm pretty sure i did I, w- I would not be surprised <laughs> if i would have done the same thing I mean, that was such a coveted figure at the uh-huh. time and and hindsight us as adults that collect things like we understand why <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> um but yeah so that was my foray into it and i i also think like i got really attached into like the the physical aspects of the movie like the ships and the, yeah. i was obsessed with the death star at the time like yeah. like i had the little unfolding micro machine mm-hmm. and i was always obsessed with like how I, I, like the textures, like the paneling of all the surfaces. Like, I don't know why. I was so obsessed with all that stuff. Yeah, um, and then, you know, later on, I start learning about the behind the scenes work with the starting days of ILM. And you got people like uh, Dykstra, Phil Tebbett with his amazing stop motion work. Yes. And then you start learning, like, they created all of this stuff for the movie. It did not exist pre-Star Wars. Right. And at that point in time, 1977, obviously prior to that too, yeah. there wasn't anything like Star Wars, right? No. Which the, is why it probably was such a success. I too. mean, the closest you can say to Star Wars was maybe you could say Star Trek, maybe. <gasps> I, I, but not even movies. It was just right. the original series. That's right. 
would have been out at that time. But 2001 Space Odyssey is probably the closest thing you can get to Star Wars. And it's and it's a million miles apart in terms of its, you know, you got the way Stanley Kubrick does his slow, drawn out, yes. very high tension. And Lucas did everything very quick, fast, dynamic. And you didn't see that in space stuff back in the day. No, you did not. I mean, and, and rightly so, because his greatest inspirations were things like Flash Gordon mm-hmm. or Akira Kurosawa, right? Oh, yeah. So all of those, and if you look at Flash Gordon, very much like Pulp Fiction comics, right? So mm-hmm. it's got that high pace, uh, high action pace, kind of like a, I mean, a Pulp Fiction comic, right? Exactly. So... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Again, nothing has been made at that point in time quite like that, right? No, and I and I think what and honestly, I think we're just part of the many who got our minds blown by the first uh, the dogfight at the Battle of Yavin at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. Because mm-hmm. if to the best of your film history knowledge, could you think of another action sequence in space? In space? In space with wow. all those ships flying. Flying independently, because that was the groundbreaking tech with uh, A New Hope, was when uh, Dykstra invented the Dykstra Flex, mm-hmm. the, the machine that would pre-program movements into the camera. So, I mean, it's funny, because talking about this today, like, this is, like, this is common technology right. where you can do crazy uh, multi-layered effects in your phone. But back then, they didn't have anything close to that that's right they barely had computers back then barely had personalized computers back then so with the dykstra flex you program a movement into it and you have you have your main plate say your background plate you have yavin in the background another moon and you got a separate recording with one x-wing you got element one another one flying another way but all of those have to be stitched together and synchronized with the same camera movement. So they invented this thing just for Star Wars, never knowing if it was going to work. And now look at the technology. As Everything it, rode on top of that's back. It really did. It really yeah. did. And actually, I learned something kind of cool. Uh, I was watching um, that docuseries on Disney Plus, Light and Magic, yeah. about the history of ILM. The opening scene of A New Hope with the... Uh, uh, the blockade runner getting running away from the star destroyer that, yeah so yeah. they they really emphasized how important getting the scale was to that shot you had to believe that the star destroyer was massive miles across mm-hmm. so what they did was they had a very deep uh depth of field on the focus so everything was in focus they made a teeny tiny little model of the blockade runner stuck it at the end of the star destroyer and Filmed it upside down because the camera had to be ceiling mounted because it was so heavy. (laughs) So they shot and then flipped it. Wow. And then they ran the daily and they're like, we got it. We got it. Like it was it was like the first excitement. They were on the right path. Like I can't even imagine all this stuff is being R&D from the get go. Yeah. And you have one shot. You're like. I think this is it. I think we got a winner here. Like, Well, could you imagine the headaches that they had to go through to figure out, holy crap, we're on a, such a tight timeline and a small budget. How did, the hell are we going to make this work? Well, didn't, didn't George Lucas, like, didn't he get hospitalized from, like, the stress or something? Or You know, we may have to fact check that, but I think I think I do remember hearing about that. Yeah, I remember hearing something. He got so stressed out, he had to go to the hospital for, like, 
I don't know if he was getting like dizzy or chest pain. There was something he was physically ill from all the stress between. And this was before he was self-financing the movies. He still had to, he had to depend on the big studio, but you know, once he found his success, then the rest is history. (laughs) They all wanted him afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, all that stuff is, it's just amazing thinking back on how star Wars came to be and look where it is, look where it is now. So, and what's, and you know, it's interesting, like, you know, star Wars has had its ups and downs and, you know, as I think, I think as true fans, you have to be able to point out the flaws as well as the achievements, you know, because that's what makes any, any story, any franchise, you know, you're going to have your high points and your low points, but overall it's got to be something special. So, and I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm willing to give Mando the benefit of the doubt and saying this was, this was episode one of season three. I know. Okay, fine. <laughs> Target me out. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is, it is episode one, right? Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been a two, almost a two year hiatus since we saw that insane, sorry, spoiler alert moment when Luke Skywalker, you know, took baby Yoda, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh God, he, he, I said baby Yoda. Sorry. <laughs> Grogu, Grogu, Grogu. Um, did you hear that, Mickey? He said Grogu. Please, please, <laughs> please just hire me. Uh, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, like it's been a while, obviously, since that since that very that very moment, right? Yeah. And I think that was a big way to leave off the season. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, it was the big anticipated moment of the season. Who's going to show up? Who's going to be the one to show up and take baby Yoda? Yeah. And yeah. And I think there was a lot of speculation like, oh, it's going to be, I don't know, maybe it's a young Han Solo. Maybe it's Leia. Maybe it's, they threw every name possible out there. I think they even threw Mace Windu, like Mace Windu survived the fall at Coruscant. He's going to show up and save baby Yoda. And wait, and I think uh, Dave Filoni actually had, um, he had a specific Jedi in mind, didn't he? I don't remember who, but he's, they, they did like storyboards with um with a specific jedi i think so too and i i want to say because filoni filoni loves his creation uh-huh. i want to say it was ahsoka tano that sounds about right yeah. but she appeared in the season she though. did she did which is probably what you know they probably changed it around a little bit but obviously for the fan service they probably also brought in well let's bring in a new deep fake luke skywalker <laughs> so i mean yeah i mean yeah, you could say it might have been a, a member berries moment, but <laughs> but in reality, I think it does make the most sense it to did. have Luke show up. I mean, he is the one who's starting the new Jedi Order. Correct. He's finding his first few students to teach, and yeah, so it really it was it was fan service done the right way. A lot like Agreed. a lot like Andor. I haven't had a chance to finish Andor Oof. yet, but and you know, I think that might even be part of the reason we were. Uh, underwhelmed by the first episode of Mando for yeah. lack of a better term. Cause seeing how Andor is it, whoa, it set the bar. It really, very it's a high. whole different type of story, you know, like the gone with, with, with Andor, you know, you don't have the myth the mythology of like the Jedi and the Sith and all that. Right. It's, this is, I think it's weaved into like the subtext I, of I think the show. Is. Yeah. Cause I, sorry, we, I haven't finished it either, but, when I did start it and watch a couple episodes, 
That is the feeling I got. I felt like, okay, what would happen? What would it be like to be a regular yes. civilian during the reign of the empire? Not and, a Jedi, not a right, not a senator, not right. someone of high importance. Yeah, but just a just a somebody. Right? Yeah. So being being in being like wrapped up in that world, right? Following this storyline, and also, you know, it's really cool, like kind of like a detective story going on, right? In mm -hmm. the world of Star Wars. Yeah. With a little, I mean, I wouldn't say little, but a big drop of Blade Runner in there. Uh, oh, 100%. The, yeah. the first scene with Andor walking down that um, that road where it's yes. raining, that was 100% a callback to Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, it was so good. And it felt so tactile, too. Like, I don't think the, what's that special effects room where they do all of the the LED screen? Is it the volume? I want to say that it's like the light room or something like that. Yeah, I don't think they use that on Andor. From what I understand, they filmed all on physical locations, which makes a big difference. Makes that a was big one difference. One of the complaints I had, you and I both had about Obi Wan. Oh right? yeah, so because it was so obvious in some scenes where it's like it literally looks like you're in a room with a bunch of monitors, like. Something with the perspective of the scenery looked off, and and you know with the first episode of Manda when they're uh, in not, when they're baptizing the new recruit, that's that's got to be a physical set somewhere. It looks realistic enough. It, it, I'm sure they had a big mixture of it because a lot of the outdoor scenes in both Mando season one and two, they had a good like mix of that as well. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did utilize an actual location for that yeah so seeing that and then you know you go on to navarro or you know <laughs> galaxy's edge <laughs> <laughs> new navarro right which new navarro. by the way by the way okay i'm trying to think to myself how much time has indeed passed since the last time we were on navarro like holy crap that looks like some like beautiful gentrified like Outdoor strip mall or like cobblestones and yeah, like, whoa. <laughs> and that giant model of IG uh, IG eleven standing right yeah. there in the city center of the city. Like, wait um, a minute, how much time? That's well, you know, I impressive. I I heard a little snippet with John Favreau, and I think he said that the show is basically in real time. So season one of Mando is one year, season two of Mando is two years. There's been a two year gap. And now we're in present day, okay. which I mean that I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, that, I mean, yeah, with like you know all that. Well, not future technology because it was a long, long time <laughs> ago in a galaxy far, far away. But yeah, probably I, I'd buy that. I'd buy that. Yeah, it's that. That's not an issue for me at all. I I know there's some people who have. Yeah, this is this is part of every fandom. You got a couple little <laughs> a little ones peppered in there that just want to tear everything apart. Like oh. you, Sean, you just want to pick everything hey, apart and <laughs> hey, I will give it a chance. I will give it a chance. No, I no, I think I think you will. You're pretty you're you're very open minded when it comes to these kind of shows. And you love but you know what? You're one of the few Star Wars fans that I know that will you're not on the black and white side where it's like Either everything about it is phenomenal or right. everything about it sucks. Like, yeah, you no. give it its fair shake. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, a, I'm like a to not get political or anything. I'm like a millennial Star Wars fan. That's what I'm, like. <laughs> I'm right in the middle, trapped in the middle. Oh, God, what do I choose? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I I hate to throw this out there, but I think it, I think with both of those, it comes with age. So, <laughs> <laughs> with age comes a little wisdom. So we 
<laughs> we know what they're trying to do. We we lived through the era of episode one. Oh, oh yeah. that shook the world, man. It did. But you, it, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. I would say probably at the height of COVID mm-hmm. was when Rachel, my fiance, was she really started taking an interest in Star Wars. For the okay. first time. For the first time. Yeah, I mean, she knew about it, but she's never actually sat down, watched it, digested the storytelling mm-hmm. and the characters, right? Now she's a fan. So we rewatched every, we did a marathon essentially. And for me, rewatching the prequels, I'm like, you know what? Still not great. <laughs> but not as bad as we remember, right? Right. Not as bad as we remembered. You know, it's, you know, obviously foregoing Jar Jar Binks. Hey, Ahmed Best, I get it. You're an amazing physical actor. But well, well, you know what? It's funny you brought that up. When we went to Star Wars Celebration in 2019. Wow. The Chicago 20, one? The Chicago one in 2019. 20, 2019, yeah, I think it was. Um, that was when Ahmed Best went out there and got that massive standing ovation, yeah, right? Yeah. I think that was one of the first, those were all people around our age too. And I think that was one of the, for me, I was like, oh, wow. Like, we, like you don't realize we actually did appreciate this guy, but it came off in such a horrible way. <laughs> it did. It, it did. Was, it's that old trope that people, use, that our parents used to tell us about bullies or whatever it's like no they're picking on you because they really like you (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i mean okay as a kid sure you know his whatever with the freaking pod racer and his tongue going all numb and stuff okay yeah that was funny but uh, i'm sorry man even now watching it as an adult i'm like okay just keep moving on moving on but we but we said it earlier like what what's What's the ultimate goal sometimes of these big right. franchise movies? Right. It's not just for adults. It's general audiences for mm-hmm. everybody to enjoy. And again, that's why I think if we're going to kind of go a full circle here, back to the what makes Star Wars special for a lot of people, I think it's the fact that it is a timeless story. It is a timeless story that is shared by different generations. Yeah. Right. We now see, I mean, dude, when I teach kids right nowadays and- for the ones that I know that the parents are doing a good job, good job parents out there that are showing your kids Star Wars, <laughs> the ones who get it, right? The ones who are fans and they're like, they follow it, right? I see that. It's something so special in their eyes. Like you see the glint in their eyes when they're talking about it, right? Yeah. Or like when they're, when a new, when a new Star Wars IP comes out, like Mandalorian or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. When that came, when Mandalorian first came out, Back in what was when was that? That was 20... 2018? 2018. It was right, right when Disney Plus came out. Right. Yeah. It launched. That's right. So when that came out, I remember some of the students I had who were, you know, I already knew were Star Wars fans, listening to them talk about it reminded me like I got a little I got, I got a little misty eyed because it brought me back to my childhood and like, oh yeah, that's why I love it so much. And I think being able, if we're able to kind of like disassociate our social norms and being an adult and all that stuff and what we expect <laughs> as an adult and instead look at it from like a child's perspective. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm going to eat this up. Exactly. Exactly. 
Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this topic. And you know what, Sean? I think we're going to have to revisit this in another episode. Star Wars is a big, big subject with a lot of ground to cover. And I don't think we ever get tired of talking about it. So that'll do it for this episode of the Hollywood Half Hour. And for the first of many more Star Wars discussions, Sean, I know that's going to make you very happy to know we're going to talk a lot more about Star Wars in the future. Oh, yeah. Always happy to talk about Star Wars. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Half Hour for updates on upcoming episodes. You can also listen to us on Apple Music, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you all next time.